My dad couldn't work for anybody else because he just doesn't have that temperament. And he had a painting business, but he always had his friends or other new immigrants or people working for him. And there was always like laughter and vodka, like they'd be painting, but then there's like food. Everybody ate lunch together. There was this really beautiful, like sort of communal thing. And they really showed me like, you can easily sustain yourself by creating these like, like strong webs. Welcome to the Clubhouse. I'm Arielle Hudes, and I'm on a mission to find diverse female role models and tell the stories of how they became who they are. In the first four episodes of Clubhouse, those role models were people like Rachel, who helped to found a school in a prison in New Orleans, and Ivana Cancela, who's the first Latina state senator in Nevada, a job she stepped up to do after the 2016 elections. And in the next few weeks, I'm sharing four more stories from across the country. Later, we'll hear from Kate, who's a set designer in Minneapolis, Leela, who's a storyteller and an amazing podcaster in San Francisco, and Amy, a professor in Connecticut. But today, I get to share Faina's story. Faina lives in Detroit, and she runs an arts organization out of her home. Okay, whatever you picture when I say home, you have to scrap that image because Faina's home is really special and cool. It's converted from an old packing factory, which was originally called Pops Packing, so that's what she calls her arts organization now. So now the first floor of Pops Packing is an art gallery and a wood shop and art studio space, and the upstairs is where she and her husband and their two kids live. And all around Pops Packing are other properties that Faina and her husband have bought over the past few years, and they're turning those properties into things like living space for artists who come to visit from around the world, and a tool lending library for the whole community to use, and a lush neighborhood garden with a chicken coop, and an outdoor camp for neighborhood kids to learn how to use tools. Pops is this thriving part of the neighborhood, a vibrant, electrified corner of Detroit where international art stars are mingling with neighborhood kids and chickens are running around and building projects are underway. And at the center of it is Faina, who is always smiling and getting four things done at once. And the story of how she built this incredible Detroit institution actually starts really far away. She was born in Latvia and lived there till she was about eight. I don't remember the moving process, but over the years through photos and like more stories are coming out of um, from my mom and like some of her friends, like they they're opening up about how like tedious and terrifying the whole ordeal was at Mm. that time Um, because Latvia was Soviet part of the Soviet Union and my parents whole generation grew up under that my grandpa was very resourceful and um enterprising he was a barber so he knew lots of people through that business Uh, and um just started like saving money making connections got our um, papers in order and pretty much helped finance the whole trip for my parents because they were in their early mid-20s and had no money right Uh, and so there were seven of us that came together and then you go to italy and well, first it was Moscow where they're, you're kind of almost strip search. And luckily they didn't check us because my mom said our little fur coats were um, stuffed with jewelry and <laughs> <laughs> little like onyx boxes and just little tchotchkes that they thought would be valuable that they could sell in, um, in markets in Italy to help 
fund the rest of the journey. Wow. Do you still have any of those things? Yeah. Um, I mean, we still, I even have the, my mom has the two little fur coats that we were wearing that weigh like 50 pounds. I try to put them on my kids and they're so heavy. (laughs) Like, how did we move in these things? Um, Wow. So when you were, when you were in Michigan and growing up with all those things in the house and people who I imagine weren't speaking English right away in the house, did you feel like, did you have the sense you were torn between two places or did you feel American right away? I mean, as far as I can remember, I, I mean, I remember feeling American. I also remember being very confused about what that meant. And I'd be like, oh, I'm Russian. And my grandma would be like, no, you're Jewish. And I'm like, but we came from Latvia. And she's like, she's like, no, but you're Jewish first. I just couldn't grasp it. I was like, what, what? And did you, you know, there's sort of a stereotype of immigrant parents that they put a lot of pressure on their kids and have certain Mm -hmm. expectations of um, the kinds of careers you might go into. Did you (laughs) feel that from your parents? You know, the only thing that was really stressed was like education and culture. Because we were so poor living in this tiny apartment, you know, which is like like a Russian projects at the time. It was just like everybody, all these new immigrants living like in this one complex. And um, but they would just. Yeah, there was always like music and storytelling and they'd put on these plays and like act out things for people's birthdays, like these whole like, you know, hour long like musicals almost with like live instruments and. Wow move couches into the hallways to make room for the giant table that everybody sits at it eats together I don't know if they understood what like careers and success really meant in America at that time you know Mm -hmm. like for them it was like find any job save some money you know um and just like relied on each other for any little resources and trades and someone's a hairdresser someone fixes cars someone does like I early on I saw this whole network of like how people like live, you know, and support each other, you know? Yeah. Which has definitely resonance with what you've built now. Like in retrospect, it's like, Oh, that's why, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But, um, I remember like that I was always supported as an artist, like, like sketching and drawing. And it was always like, Oh, look what Hyena drew or look at this thing. You know, it was always, um, very important because those were also things that were really kind of valued in, um, the Soviet union at the time. Like those people that made more money, like a teacher or a lawyer, like everybody kind of made the same thing, but it was like this other, um, echelant of society that kind of like had more respect that, you know, the artists and the poets and the, um, musicians, um, ballerinas. Um, my father kind of got it, but even when I started going to art school, he was like, my friend, his son went to that school and he makes this much money now doing car design <laughs> or advertising. You could do that. And I'm like, no, dad, I'm going for fine art. You know? <laughs> Oh, but you could still do that. The degree from that school, it's the same. You you will be advertising. <laughs> Work for one of the big three. You know, you're like, mm, no. Yeah. No. So then by the time you graduated high school, did you know you wanted to be an artist? No. I called myself a closet artist. It was like very private kind of practice. I think I just, I think after high school, I just wanted freedom. And I knew I didn't want, I started going to community college because like 
my mom's like, you have to go to school, you have to go to school. And um, I didn't apply to colleges. I was like, I'm going to go to community college because it's cheap and I can figure things out. And um, I had a really long term like high school boyfriend situation. And um, yeah, and then we did a lot of traveling, traveling out west, just kind of trying to be grown up and find, a com- you know, somewhere to live that wasn't where my family was. Right. You know? And um, just waited tables a lot and worked in restaurants to sustain myself and um, did that for a good four years, I say, <laughs> until it's like, okay, this relationship isn't going anywhere. And- <laughs> I really do need my family and like some to be grounded in something. And at that point I was really like in a place where I'm like, I have to commit if I'm going to do make art, I need to commit to this. That's when um, I went back to community college, got like the rest of my prerequisite kind of credits in order and then applied to CCS and got a scholarship. And that's kind of the end of that story. And through there, I really found my voice and I really feel like um, going there when I was um, in my mid-20s, I wasn't distracted by like all like the social things that happen in school. And I kind of had my like um, work ethic as far as art practice goes, like kind of established. So it was really um, kind of like easy for me to really get into like the studio time and uh, I was just soaking it all in. It's, it's really cool that, I mean, taking the time before school obviously gave you, as you were just saying, direction at school, but also direction of where you wanted to be. And I, I mean, I wonder if when you were 18 or 19, you could have ever imagined you would put down such deep roots back in Detroit and Hamtramck. No, no, never. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing that I, I think I knew, like, I knew relationships were really important to me, like, like meaningful relationships with the people I had around me. And, um, and I feel like traveling also taught me that, like, sometimes, like, a place can be so amazing. And, like, we were in Seattle for years, and it was, like, just a beautiful, but, like, I found, like, relationships with people there were really hard. Like I couldn't, I couldn't find my people, you know? Yeah. And then, well, maybe there's something to be said for like the, like that, those common um, experiences from coming from a certain city or region or place that for me started to like, like my, I have to form my life around that. So when Faina graduated college, she'd already done a ton of exploring and really knew what she wanted, and that was to be an artist in Detroit. And while she was in school, something else had fallen into place. She'd met her soon-to-be husband, Graham. He was just um, had an amazing space in southwest Detroit. And I remember when I was in school and I went to his studio, and I was like, it was like this aha moment of like, oh this is what an artist lived like. This is the life. Yeah. Just like huge space. It's all studio. And then he had this one corner where his bed was. And then there was a toilet and this kitchen that I don't think he ever used. Um, but yeah. And I was like, Oh, um, and then from that moment on, like we were 
kind of living together on and off. And I was just making work, trying to have as many shows as possible or just exhibiting everywhere, mostly group shows. So it was kind of like bartending, teaching and making art. And that was kind of all, you know, that was on my radar. Once we decided after we got married and we started looking for a building, because there it was like graduate school or buy a house or building. Right. <laughs> like that was our choice at that right, point. Right, right. Really considering, okay, I want to keep my momentum. Should I go to graduate school? Because I, I do like school. And um, this building came up and we just went for it. Um, and it was just going to be like, oh, we have plenty of space to live and to both have studios here. Okay. There was still nothing on our, we were not planning to start an art organization or, you know, or anything like that. But we had lots of parties and gatherings and it was mostly artists coming here and we'd have like work days already. Like we'd invite everybody over cause we needed to paint all our ceilings, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they call it a subotnik. It's like a Sunday work day and you just drink vodka, you eat tons of food and people come and go and everybody helps with this really daunting task that would take one person forever. But when it's like 30 people doing it for a half hour or hour at a time, like the whole job gets done. And it's fun. Yeah. And it's fun. Um, and then at that same time, after we bought the building and started, um, working in it, um, the, uh, financial crash was that 2008 mm-hmm. and the housing crash there were so many things happening the few galleries that we had here with it, like even in the near suburbs were closing so there was really no no spaces for people to show so we kind of did um we curated a show with like five or six um hamtramck artists that were doing amazing work and we kind of used a whole downstairs for that and like a ton of people came through and it was just a really good show. And that's when we kind of realized like, Oh, the space can be this too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then within two years we started just doing like regular exhibitions. So I yeah. think Detroiters are also very curious about new neighborhoods. So there was like, I think a general and Hamtramck everybody knew about, but this corner of Hamtramck was really like, like the bad corner. <laughs> um, and so when some houses across the street started going empty, and um, the city of Detroit kind of launched that terrible auction, mm-hmm. the foreclosure auction. Um, these buildings that were formerly occupied and like not a source of blight, you know, all of a sudden were within like six months. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, this is not good, you know. And um, so, yeah, we kind of, I mean, we initially just bought them to secure them. We got them for $500 each. Wow. So it's a matter of, but I mean, it was like, poop on the walls you know somebody's stuff that's been left there and in the emporium um the storefront building it was like I mean 50 years of people's lives were in there the things that we uncovered and found but also like squatters and junkies have been using that building too for a while so it was like we just kind of like um boarded them up and secured them so people wouldn't scrap whatever was left in there, kind of securing this corner a little bit better. Yeah, it sounds like it was about doing, literally just doing a kind of selfless civic duty that... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's really sad, like the state of, like the history that's allowed this to happen in this city, you know? 
and like things I think started moving kind of fast and so nothing was planned it's just like you're thinking and then an, um, the residency program started because um, a colleague from Wayne State a painter reached out to say he had um, a friend in Dusseldorf Max Schultz who was looking for a residency in Detroit Okay, and there was none and he knew we had some space, like we had some space. He's like, oh, maybe you could offer him a studio. We could find for somewhere for him to stay. Um, and we were like, sure. We looked at his work. It was amazing. There was also, so there were three abandoned houses across the street at the time. So we bought two and there was one in the middle. And that middle house had this huge, like mechanics, brick garage, it's like this gray building. Um, so um, we altogether cleared out that garage, got a dumpster, Max helped and some other people helped and we cleared out that whole garage and Max used that as his studio, even though there was plenty of space here, but he wanted that space. So that was like our first sort of like, oh, like, like this kind of like collaborative effort to like clear something out, turn it into something else. But like we weren't dictating it. Like right. he, all right. the things available. I, this is the kind of environment I want to work in. Um, and we also cleaned out the storefront of the Emporium, which the roof was basically falling. It leaked in there all over the place. The ceiling was crumbling. Um, and that's where he had his exhibition. Okay. <laughs> but, he used the water like he made these crazy lights that like accompanied his paintings. It was this crazy installation, but like the water was part of it. And it was like, oh, to kind of use this, that like the blight and the different materials available in these spaces mm -hmm. as a source of inspiration and an accompaniment to the work as opposed to like a deterrent, you know, right. like, this is not a clean space. I can't work in here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, um, so, like, he taught us a lot about, like, what direction I think we wanted the residency to go. As that was evolving, was it exactly when you were having your first baby? Yep. Yeah, that was okay. all spontaneously. So, okay. 2011, 2012. Um, and, then, and then our next set of residents, um, they kind of did the second installation in the Emporium where um, they cleaned out every object or kind of used the rugs and the drop ceiling as part of the installation they color coordinated every article of clothing that they found and stacked it into this mm. like color-coded totem almost from cool. floor to ceiling like every room was utilized and we had a huge um, opening for them and it was like like walking through history um, it was crazy but like Tons of people came out for that, and it was really amazing. And then, um, so that's kind of the, how the residencies were born. And once we got a website the next year and put it on our website, we were hosting up to 18 people a year. Wow. And how were you, like, what was it like to balance that with having, not just, it, like, it wasn't up and running, so growing it, creating it at the same time that you have a little baby, a first baby. No, but it wasn't even a thing. Like, I know we, like, started calling it Pops Packing at some point in there, only because that's what this building was called before when it was a meatpacking plant. Mm -hmm. So we would just, like, you know, you like, give your house or your car a name. It was kind of like we gave our house a name. Like, we would call it Pops Packing. Um, and 
I had no idea of any nonprofit world or there was no funding for anything at that time. Like none of the foundations had moved into Detroit to, um, you know, be like, we want to support placemaking and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Like that wasn't happening. That wasn't on our radar at all. Um, and it was sustaining itself because these artists would pay to come here. Or in the case of um, Christian, um, our friends from L.A., they came like they stayed for free, but they helped clear out the Emporium while turning it into an art installation. It was nice. And Isadora's like in the stroller. We'd bring the guys watermelons and like she had all these people and they were all loving people. I don't know. It was just like everything was melded because I don't have a nine to five. Graham doesn't have a nine to five. Like this was like we were making I maybe just had stopped bartending and waiting tables. But like for the first like three years of like living here, we were like I'd work two shifts a week and it was fine. That was enough to kind of sustain, wow. yeah. you know, living wasn't expensive. Right. Here. You know, and it was just like, how do you, you know, it was just about making enough to like pay the bills. You know, that was all. <laughs> that's how far we thought about it. And it, I mean, it sounds like it was always this fun community that you'd wanted to create. Was did it always feel good every day or were there days you were frustrated with it? I think it's like anything. There's days you're frustrated with it. But like for the most part, it's like you have. I don't know. I feel like it's like it's idyllic in some ways, you know, and even folks that would come here from other places, they'd be like, oh, it's kind of like the Italian Riviera without the Riviera. Or like, <laughs> like in the summer, it's very beautiful and there's like flowers and it's green and I don't know. It, and still kind of like rural, even though it's urban. Um, and I don't know. I think it's it's about the relationships ultimately still like I keep to that especially at this point in my life where like there's so many other forces and factors and chasing grants or whatever right. like who you should know who you should you know it's like your, your your mind gets cluttered with like what you think you should be doing or what'll help this and then it's like no like just bring it back Faina <laughs> that's not important this you know the people that you have around you day to day that you you help and they help you like that's the life force that's success and I feel like my family really did inform that because like even though my mom had like a nine to five later but like they were just hustling wherever they could my dad like couldn't work for anybody else because he's just doesn't have that temperament so like he found creative ways to like start his own business and he had a painting business but he always had his friends or other new immigrants or people working for him and there was always like laughter and vodka, like they'd be painting, but then there's like food. Everybody ate lunch together. There was this really beautiful, like sort of communal thing. And they really showed me like money was always secondary to all of that. Like they figured out everything else, you know, and money, like it comes, you can find it wherever there's ways, you know, but it's like, like that relation, like certain things, like you can't, like you, they have to be genuine and there's reciprocal reciprocity um is mandatory like not mandatory, but it, it has to be part of the formula like generosity and reciprocity it has to like back and forth um in a way like almost seamlessly you don't have to like like you can easily sustain yourself by creating these like like strong webs yeah 
That was exactly the word I was going to use to ask, you know, if this feels sustainable now with two kids running pops and doing your own practice. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, No, it's sustainable because we're still doing it. I think I'm also, um, I think we're at a place where we need to, um, like, we can't help that it's like, like it's grown because it's grown because we kind of just went with the flow and whether it was because of need or whatever it is where it is now. And I feel like we're definitely at capacity mode. Okay. I feel like in the last two years, um, more programs, more um, grants, more chasing grants, like other things kind of like seeped in that now I'm starting to like filter back out. Like, okay, what, how much money do we really need to get from outside sources? How do we make um, the programs that we already um, that are going strong and that actually bring in some revenue, you know, how do we build on those? Like, or are one of those, even if it brings us revenue have to go because it's not making us happy or it's Mm -hmm. more than it is reward. Um, and, um, and I feel like with exhibitions, we're starting to weed that out or like redefine what those look like because there's plenty of art spaces and galleries and things now to exhibit, new works, new Mm -hmm. artists, you know? So I feel like we don't need to provide that anymore in that way. We're not good planners. Like, we can't plan things. I think that's why grants are so hard for me. They make you put in black and white, this is what I'm going to do, this will be the outcome, this is how I evaluate it. And it's like, fuck you. (laughs) That's how it works if you really want to make an impact in your community or like if you're really doing it for that reason it's like you gotta let it like evolve and grow and you have to like test things out and I would love to find a better balance between my personal practice and and pop Um, I think I've kind of like, even when I had kids, it was like, okay, I'm going to put the personal practice aside. I'm not going to be that type of mother that's juggling both, you know, like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to resent my kids because they're keeping me away from the studio or I don't want to like put that much energy in my studio, um, and be away from the kid. Like I kind of was like, okay, this can be on hold for five years until they start school and then I'll do my practice. I, the goal in the next 10 years is to keep my children healthy and alive and um, <laughs> um, to help to raise them into productive human beings yeah. that contribute to society, uh, however that makes, whatever that looks like, um, and finding a balance where I can feel um, like where I can actually be fulfilled with my own um, art practice as well as with pops or get it pops to a point where it's sustainable and someone else can be a director and we can still figure out how to like live here and have somebody else running some of the program, you know, like just yeah. delegate some of the responsibility out. Yeah. Um, that's the goal. I think you can always delegate responsibility. What will be hard to delegate or replicate is the spirit that you have 
and create when you're in that space of openness and generosity and welcoming in everyone who shows up and um it'll be a challenge to find somebody who can embody that as well yeah we do it does have to be more sustainable financially right like we we're only going to be able to do it this way, I think, for a little bit longer. You already said success right now is about having the community with you. Is there anything else that's like over your lifetime, something you want to um, be able to say you did or achieved um, or a different definition of success over that longer term? I want to be able to say I have my health, my family, my friends, like, or like just a simple, sustainable and creative mm-hmm. life. Yeah. I think that's I mean. Ultimately, I think that's, I think that's like success. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah, the day. Yeah. Um, And hopefully that stays with me. If I live, if I live to 90, who knows? 75 would be fine too. I cut out this part where Faina says she's, quote, not career driven. And okay, if she says so, but I love the model she sets of being community driven and moving forward a community vision she's had since she was so young. And if you don't want to call that career driven, okay, but I think building that is, yeah, it's probably at least as fulfilling as building resume lines. So thank you, Faina, for setting that example. FYI, Pops is doing this huge fundraiser right now to finish off one of their buildings, and you can donate through Patronicity by searching for Pops, which is P-O-P-P-S. Thank you so much, Jess Zambri, for our music, and Karis Reed for the artwork in our logo. Come back and hang out again soon. Bye.